This podcast of Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by BASF. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture, coming to you today from St. Joseph, Missouri. It was my honor to be the speaker today, this morning, at the 15th Annual Chamber Farm City Breakfast here in St. Joseph, Missouri. We're going to talk more about that and the flooding conditions in this area coming up on our program today. In fact, we're going to focus a lot on the state of Missouri. This week we've talked about flooding in Nebraska and Iowa. Today we'll focus on the Show Me State. Blake Hurst, president of the Missouri Farm Bureau, will join us later in the program. And Chris Chin, Missouri Ag Director, will join us as well for updates. Also, we're going to get some thoughts on the U.S.-China ongoing trade talks. Aaron Ennis, Senior Vice President for the U.S.-China Business Council, will join us a little bit later on as well. But we're going to start things off uh, talking about uh, the events going on here in uh, St. Joseph, Missouri. Joining me now is Pat Lilly. He is the President and CEO of the St. Joe Chamber of Commerce. Pat, thank you very much. A wonderful event here. Big crowd here in your 15th year. I remember speaking at this in the in the infancy of this event, and it's amazing how much you have grown over the years. Well, it really is, Mike. Uh, you know, it's become really one of our uh, looked-for uh, events uh, in St. Joseph uh, every year. You know, we usually have, uh, and today I think was another day of a good crowd. We had over 500 people here. Uh, and I think it, you know, I think it just goes to the roots of St. Joseph in this northwest Missouri area. Uh, very uh, engaged in agriculture. You have a lot of people who live in St. Joseph who, frankly, grew up on the farm uh, earlier in their lives. And so just a, a real sense of, of history when it comes to agriculture, uh, but also a, a realization how important agriculture is to our local economy. And, of course, you this is really uh, an agribusiness hub, isn't it? Well, it is. In fact, uh, just several years ago, Fortune magazine uh, uh pinpointed that St. Joseph had the third largest uh, ag-related economy for its size in the country. So, you know, again, what's interesting is, you know, you'll go to different parts of the country. uh, They'll be known for one specific type of ag product, whatever the case may be. But here in St. Joseph, very diversified, not only in the context of raising crops, uh, but producers with with cattle and hogs, uh, but also we have a very uh, robust uh, uh, animal health industry here, uh, egg processing industry, uh, so really a very uh, diverse and, frankly, very large uh, ag economy here in St. Joseph. Of course, right now dealing with the flooding. Yes, unfortunately, uh, you know, one of those things that does happen when you live close to a river, I think what we see here today is uh, the continuation of what began up north, uh, Nebraska and Iowa. They certainly uh, were hit very hard. And, of course, uh, you know, what comes downstream comes mm-hmm. downstream. And uh, so we're seeing uh, really the effects of that here in, in the St. Joseph and northwest uh, uh, Missouri area. There have been uh, some uh, levee breaks, certainly a lot of farmland, some smaller communities uh, that have been flooded. And, you know, we're on the bubble here. Uh, I think we potentially could see some uh, flooding in some of our low-lying areas. But, uh, you know, so far things have, have been okay Uh, But certainly it's something that the community is very on point with. Last night I went downtown and uh, went to the river. A lot of people were down there watching it, uh, 
kind of thought it was cresting last night, but maybe it's not cresting till this morning. Well, what we've been told just now uh, within the last 30 minutes is that uh, we had thought it had crested this morning around 6, 630, but they anticipate a second crest uh, early afternoon that could bring it up to 32 feet, which would uh, really tie the record from 93. 1993 uh, was over 32 feet, uh, and it did result in overtopping the levee on the Kansas side. Uh, which uh, you, you indicated you were down uh, town last night looking at the river. Uh, when that occurred, you literally were bluff to bluff as far as the river. I, I, frankly, I'd never seen anything like that and hope I don't ever again. Uh, but it again, is, it's something that uh, we do have some concern about. We'll talk more about Missouri flooding a little bit later in the program. We're talking with the president and CEO of the St. Joseph, uh, Missouri Chamber of Commerce, Pat Lilly. Uh, Pat, tell us about the... Um, the ag community here, the agribusiness community, I mean, you've got Lifeline Foods. Uh, that's a big uh, uh, employer and a supporter of agriculture in this area. And, and what they have been able to do, I know, is just remarkable in the last few years. Well, it's a great story. Uh, you know, uh, out of, out of uh, a bad uh, situation came a, a great company uh, that was born. And uh, many years ago, we had a Quaker Oats plant here uh, in the community, and uh, it closed back in the early 2000s. And so uh, a co-op of farmers uh, from Kansas and Missouri uh, came together and, um, and bought the facility. And over the course of the next uh, decade or more, uh, really transformed uh, what was really uh, initially just a simple milling company into a dynamo today, making uh, ingredients for a variety of food products here and St. Joseph, really a state-of-the-art facility. They're also associated with ICM that uh, produces uh, biofuel here. So just a, a, a great story. Uh, and what can happen when a group of farmers get That's together right. and decide they want to do something? That's right. So uh, it's something we're all very proud of. Well, Pat, thank you. And again, uh, my honor to be a part of your uh, event here today. Thank you very much. Mike, thank you for being here. Pat Lilly, President and CEO of the uh, St. Joe Chamber of Commerce. Joining me now is Mark Stewart. He is President and CEO of AFA, Agriculture Future of America. And that's AFA and this uh, Chamber uh, Farm City Breakfast uh, are very much connected, aren't they? Absolutely. It's This has been our largest and one of our best uh, community partnership relationships, yeah. For those not familiar with AFA, quickly tell us about it. Well, so we're a collegiate and young professional-based organization. We work with uh, primarily college students all, all across the country uh, to do scholarships, to facilitate scholarships, encourage young people to develop themselves personally and professionally, and help them with their career pathing. Uh, we do that in a lot of different ways, programs, events, and that sort of thing, but that's at the core of what we do, soft skill development, career exploration, and a robust network. You don't have chapters like FFA, do you? Correct. No, that's uh, one of the distinctions. That early on, they, they didn't deans didn't want another club and organization. They wanted great leaders to make those clubs and organizations better. So in a lot of ways, we're camouflaged. AFAers are, are hopefully doing and, and, and aren't seeing as much. But yeah, You bring these young people and businesses together and make that connection, don't you? You bet. A lot of our partners are from industry, and they look at it as a recruiting aspect. But a lot of them just like to give advice, too. And so we, we'll get CEOs every year that come to our national conference and say, this is energizing for me because I get FaceTime with the next generation of leaders. It's refreshing for them. But a student can then go back and say, I sat down and visited with the CEO of X company. And so 
So it's, yeah, it's great. You know, Pat was just talking about ICM. So uh, Dave Vandergren, their CEO, longtime partner of ours, these are great people that just want to support young people, and then they take time to come and invest in them. Great organization, and we look forward to telling people more about it here on Adams on Agriculture. Thanks a lot, We appreciate Mark. it, Mike. Thanks so much. Mark Stewart, President and CEO of AFA, Agriculture Future of America. Again, we're in St. Joseph, Missouri. People in this area hear us locally on 680 KFEQ. Coming up next, we're going to talk with the Senior Vice President of the U.S.-China Business Council. Stay with us here on Adams on Agriculture. You want to make the most of your wheat crop's yield potential. BASF has a full portfolio of fungicides to help, starting with Preaxor brand fungicide. It gives you early to mid-season disease control, stress protection, and improved growth efficiency, which you need for higher yields. Now combine that with Nexacor Zemian brand fungicide for early to mid-season applications, and you've got disease control that helps deliver healthier, greener leaves longer. And more green means more photosynthesis more grain mass, and potential yield. Now add in Caramba brand fungicide, and you're getting best-in-class head scab suppression plus control of late-season foliar diseases. That gives you a yield advantage over infected wheat acres that are left untreated. The fact is with Preaxor fungicide, Nexacor fungicide, and Caramba fungicide all together in one portfolio, portfolio you're, you're covered all the way through harvest. That's a winning combination. For more, ask your BASF representative. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Want to get an update on the uh, U.S.-China trade talks. Uh, Joining us once again is Aaron Ennis, Senior Vice President of the U.S.-China Business Council. Aaron, thanks for being with us. My pleasure. Always interested to hear your uh, perspective because, you know, we follow the events, what we hear in the news. One day it sounds like things are really progressing. The next day it sounds like they've taken a step back. Uh, maybe this is part of negotiating. I don't know. But uh, what what is your assessment of where are we with these talks? Um, well, what we know for certain is that uh, U.S. Trade Representative Bob Lighthizer and Treasury Secretary Mnuchin are going to China next week for a round of discussions. And Vice Premier Liu He, their counterpart, is expected to come, if not the following week, so the first week of April, sometime in early April. That's all we know for certain. What we think is going on beyond that is that they are negotiating the final aspects of an agreement between the two countries. We are consistently hearing that they've made good progress on market access issues, on some of the intellectual property rights and technology transfer issues, and that the final issues they're negotiating have to do with what the enforcement mechanism looks like for the deal. Which has always been a key part of this and a question mark about uh, uh, holding uh, uh, China accountable to whatever deal is agreed to. That's exactly right. How difficult do you see that issue being, and how do you see them going about that? Now, the president talked about keeping tariffs in place even after an agreement is signed uh, as a way of holding them accountable. Do you, do you think that is the way to go about it, or will that work? 
I think the challenge with that approach is that it assumes that China has to take whatever it is that the United States proposes. And one of the reasons why we continue to advocate with both governments that they need to be working towards a solution and a mutually agreeable enforcement option is um, if the United States were to keep tariffs in place, even on just $50 billion worth of Chinese imports, which is what the president talked about uh, in the interview that was aired this morning on Fox News, China likely would keep in place $50 billion worth of retaliatory tariffs against American products. A lot of that, of course, is agriculture, um, and that's only the tariffs that are related to this particular Section 301 case. It wouldn't get at the tariffs that China has in place as a response to steel and aluminum tariffs. And that also f primarily focused on agriculture. So I think this is a real challenge for them, finding something that is mutually agreeable, that isn't the United States um, unilaterally deciding whether China's in compliance, but at the same time China acknowledging that it has an obligation to follow through on its commitments and that it needs to, that the administration feels strongly that it needs both sticks and carrots. It's, I guess it's hard for me to understand how an agreement really benefits us if the tariffs are still in place and that's still going on between the two countries. I, I fully agree with you. If the tariffs are not part of the deal, um, and you know, perhaps that is a plan of action that the tariffs are reduced over a certain amount of time, hopefully a short amount of time as possible, the, the benefits of whatever we get are going to be limited to the companies that don't have products that are artificially uh, uh, uncompetitive because of the tariffs that are on them in both markets. We know in agriculture, I mean, there have been a few sales and, uh, you know, some soybeans and some other products, but uh, I always want to get your perspective on what's happening outside of agriculture as far as any business really getting done between the U.S. and China right now? There seems to be a little bit. I mean, we continue to hear from companies that China's market continues to be a strong one for most companies. That's a, we think in a reflection that the Chinese government has chosen not to allow outright retaliation on individual companies, but instead is seeking to stick to the broader tariffs against imports. And we have seen some progress on some of the issues that are related to the issues in the um, Section 301 investigation. China last week announced some changes to uh, in a new law that governs foreign investment that have new protections on intellectual property rights. It has new prohibitions about um, requirements to transfer technology and includes sanctions on officials that um, release either uh, IP during a regulatory process or request technology transfers. Those things are, are indications that the discussions are going in the right direction. But again, as you noted, if, we, if all of that is not accompanied by a plan of action to reduce and ultimately remove tariffs on both sides related to these cases, it's hard to see how it's a full victory. We're talking with Aaron Ennis, Senior Vice President of the U.S.-China Business Council. Aaron, we know or kind of have an idea what the U.S. is seeking in this. What is China wanting from us in this deal? I think that the main issue that we try to help people keep in mind is that part of China's incentive for being at the table is that 
they actually um, really view the U.S. market as important to them, and they are not comfortable with the level of tension that has been present in their relationship. That might seem minor, um, but the, the data indicates that the tariffs haven't driven them to the table, and what we hear consistently from them is a, a strong desire to keep the relationship on a strong footing to avoid conflict more broadly. What they, we think they are probably asking for in the negotiations, uh, you know, their, their usual list of issues in any negotiation is to seek um, a reduction in the number of U.S. export controls that uh, we impose on products going to China. Uh, we anticipate there are probably a variety of Chinese companies who are awaiting um, approvals to be able to do business in the U.S. market that they have probably requested. They are always interested in getting guarantees that Chinese companies that invest in the United States will be treated fairly. Beyond that, it also wouldn't surprise us if the Chinese are seeking to have resolution of some of the um, legal cases that are currently pending. Uh, one uh, high high-profile case with uh, an executive of Chinese technology company Huawei. We understand the Chinese have sought to include the negotiations and the U.S. has sought to keep separate. There's also a pending case uh, with uh, two technology companies arguing over patents that we understand the Chinese may be interested in trying to resolve. The president has repeatedly said he would walk away from this, these talks if he doesn't feel it's a good deal for the U.S., what happens if, if that's the case, if we do walk away, we don't get an agreement, what, do you, what happens then? Well, we've seen what that looks like, and it's what happened throughout 2018. Uh, the U.S. Uh, had went to China with some proposals in May. Uh, the Chinese weren't willing to negotiate, and so the U.S. left, and we didn't have any, negoti- any official negotiations for almost six months. In that period, the U.S. put on three rounds of tariffs that got us to that $250 billion that the president was talking about most recently. I don't know that we would see escalation in that period, although we shouldn't rule it out. The president has been clear that he views tariffs as the best leverage that they have and uh, has reserved the right to increase tariffs on that $200 billion list of consumer goods if he felt that things uh, weren't going in the direction the United States wanted. We're hopeful that that is, that is a long shot at this point, that it seems like they're closer, and despite the challenges of coming up with a workable enforcement mechanism, that the two sides can find something they can both agree on. Only time will tell, but Aaron, my concern and my question has been, if and when a deal gets done, uh, from an agricultural standpoint, will we ever get back what's been lost in this last year? It would seem that it would take, A, a long time and a very good deal for a long time to make that back up. I think you're absolutely right. The, the longer it takes to get U.S. products back in, um, the easier it is for Chinese purchasers to recognize that they can find or source products from other parts of the world. And so the market share issue is one that we should keep in mind. You know, not, not only does that argue for why we need to resolve these issues as quickly as possible, but it also means that we do need to have some long-term agreements in place that ensure that American companies aren't at a disadvantage versus their European, Brazilian, or other um, competitors in that market. And right now, that's where we are, because we've got tariffs that are a lot higher than everybody else's. So we see what happens next week. Next week's the next step then, right? That is right. So end of next week, Thursday, Friday, China time. So that's 
roughly, um, you know, going late into the uh, evening on Friday uh, in China would be morning here. So hopefully by around this time next week, we'll know a little bit more about where they might be. All right. Aaron, as always, thanks for your perspective, and we'll stay in touch. You're welcome, Mike. Aaron Ennis, Senior Vice President for the U.S.-China Business Council, with the latest on uh, the ongoing trade talks between the U.S. and China. Up next, we're going to talk about flooding in the state of Missouri. Blake Hurst, president of the Missouri Farm Bureau, joins me next. A lot of concerns about levees and what happens after this flooding. We'll talk about that next here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Throughout soybean farming regions, growers are going all in on Ingenia herbicide from BASF. They know it's the most flexible and advanced solution of its kind for tough weed control, especially resistant weeds. Now BASF is going all in on Ingenia growers. We're so confident in the performance of this solution, we're now backing it with the Ingenia herbicide weed control guarantee. And this year, you can tap into our expanded season-long Grow Smart Rewards program. Get cash back for making the best agronomic game plan with Ingenia Herbicide and BASF's leading portfolio of soybean solutions. Want stronger performance and profits together with peace of mind? Go to IngeniaHerbicide.com to learn more. Grow Smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. All right, broadcasting today from St. Joseph, Missouri, and uh, it was again my pleasure to speak this morning at their 15th annual Chamber Farm City Breakfast. Big turnout here. Good to see uh, a lot of folks. Now, some folks, no doubt, uh, unable to be here because of flooding that's going on here in the St. Joseph area, and that's uh, the case in quite a widespread area. We're going to be talking more about that. Um, Concerning flooding, President Trump has declared a federal disaster in Nebraska, where that uh, state has been so hard hit by the flooding, it's destroyed homes and uh, farms are underwater, livestock stranded or lost. Iowa expected to uh, also seek emergency uh, declarations, and Congress uh, will, will be watching to see they may step in with some type of disaster relief spending or tax breaks. And that's kind of a focus right now. The Senate aiming to vote on a House-passed $14.2 billion disaster aid bill when both chambers return from recess next week. And the federal aid for flooded states like Nebraska and Iowa and Missouri, um, that could be in the mix as the lawmakers try to put together a final package. Now, the House Ways and Means Committee is expected to mark up a tax measure next month that could include tax breaks for those affected by hurricanes and wildfires and uh, also uh, tornadoes in Alabama and perhaps flooding in the Midwest. 
allowing deductions for losses, extending filing deadlines for taxes, easing limits on deductible charitable contributions, even waiving penalties for tapping retirement accounts, all could be part uh, of the uh, of the package. We will just have to wait and see. Now, that disaster declaration that the president has approved for Nebraska, now that opens up some uh, resources where livestock producers are seeking uh, some help uh, to replace feed that's been lost, washed out fences. Uh, so we'll see how that uh, develops and uh, what's available and how quickly. That's going to be a key, too, how quickly they can get it to the people who need it. As I mentioned, Iowa expected to submit its own disaster request to Washington. Um, that could come very, very soon. Senator Joni Ernst saying that um, one county, Fremont County, alone has lost $7 million worth of grain due to flooding there uh, and says that money's that they're likely not able to get back, grain not being insured, she said. So that's a, a real concern. Row crop growers uh, are looking at long delays. Uh, once the water goes down, you have to clear those fields, be able to try to get them ready to get in there and plant. Uh, the calendar is going to become a real concern and a lot of pressure there. Uh, the Missouri River expected to continue surging, uh, causing additional flooding through next week. Government forecasters are calling about for a potentially unprecedented flood season. Reuters saying that Missouri farmers, of course, uh, being hit by these floodwaters as well and talking about uh, the possibility of even more coming down because of the snow melt uh, further north. And that's uh, what a lot of people are saying now. This could, you know, be a, a record flood season as we wait and see how the... Uh, how the melt occurs and that water that's coming down, even rivers that are not out of their banks or not out of their banks very much are still running very full. So there's just not much room for a lot of additional water, water that is going to be coming, no doubt, uh, very, very soon. So we'll keep a close watch on that. Flooding is going to be a, a big watch here for the next several weeks. And as we've mentioned on the program here the last few days. These are long-term impacts. When you're talking about the loss, uh, obviously, of cattle and of structures, uh, but you're also talking about the infrastructure that has been lost in bridges and roads. Uh, It's going to take a while to uh, repair and to recover, replace all of that. So we will see. We were hoping to talk with Blake Hurst, president of the Missouri Farm Bureau. We're still trying to uh, get in touch with him, uh, and hopefully we'll be able to do so here very, very quickly. Some of the other news we're keeping an eye on, we talked earlier with Aaron Ennis about the, the China negotiations. Meanwhile, uh, things are starting to move a little more, pushing for the passage of USMCA, the president inviting House Republicans um, to a strategy session at the White House next week to try to drum up support for the trade deal. And that is set for next Tuesday. That's an important meeting because it shows that the president is personally getting involved in the effort to pass the new NAFTA deal. And we know there are going to be a lot of questions and some bumps and hurdles to get over. Some of the biggest ones being the tariffs on steel and aluminum on Mexico and Canada still in place. And many members of Congress already saying those need to be removed. Can the president sell the deal to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and House Democrats? That remains to be seen. Some of them have said they are skeptical of the deal and they want some changes. 
and uh, we will see if the president is willing to make those changes or not. And also, um, how did the Republicans feel about it? Is there enough support uh, on the Republican side? Ag leaders uh, across the southern part of the country are urging Congress to approve the new NAFTA deal as soon as possible. Texas's Ag Commissioner Sid Miller is heading uh, the Southern U.S. Trade Association, and he is leading an effort to try to get lawmakers from both parties to pass USMCA. The ag industry, he said in a release uh, this week, represents perhaps the most important reason to sign the USMCA. Uh, In other news, uh, to keep you up to date on, Monsanto has requested EPA approval to sell dicamba for use on genetically engineered corn. We'll keep an eye on that. Of course, there's also the ongoing story of uh, the court case continuing against Roundup, and that was a big issue for Monsanto, now Bayer, uh, that they have uh, taken over. So that is a story to continue to watch. And we're also watching the ongoing talks between the U.S. and the EU, whether or not agriculture will be included. That's still a sticking point for sure. Um, The European Council has proposed delaying Brexit. That's another complicating factor in things. And the European Council proposing a delay of Brexit until May 22nd after British Prime Minister Theresa May requested an extension to June 30th. So we'll see what happens there. So things are are complicated, and it seems like we're a long ways off uh, from getting a real trade deal done with the European Union. Agriculture, as I said, a real sticking point there. So that kind of brings us up on some of the news. Again, I want to touch on that Roundup trial. The uh, second phase of a federal trial over Roundup uh, is continuing. The judge in the case is limiting the evidence that could be introduced Earlier this week, the six-person jury determined there was a credible case that the plaintiff developed non-Hodgkin lymphoma as a result of using Roundup for years on his California property. The second phase will look at whether Bayer, which, of course, purchased Monsanto, um, specifically whether the jury will evaluate whether Monsanto should have more thoroughly studied the health and safety risk of glyphosate or not, and a testimony is expected to uh, conclude sometime next week then the jury would deliberate for a second time and consider any potential damages Uh, u.s district judge in the northern district of california restricted introduction of information related to monsanto's conduct after 2012 uh, the year the the uh, uh, that the man in this case was diagnosed and um, but that doesn't mean the jury can't hear all evidence dating from after 2012. So that's a story that certainly has a lot of implications. Uh, We'll keep a close eye on that and uh, see how that uh, plays out. But certainly a lot of people watching that very, very closely. One other note, the outgoing commissioner for the Food and Drug Administration, Scott Gottlieb, um, has uh, approved his plan has been approved to reorganize and consolidate some agency operations, which began at the end of March, or will begin at the end of March. And under that plan, the Office of the Commissioner will directly oversee FDA's various centers for food, drugs, and devices, veterinary medicine, and tobacco. That would elevate their role. So that's uh, something to keep an eye on as we watch uh, issues where there's 
joint oversight between USDA and FDA. We'll see how those things play out. Uh, I'm here in St. Joseph, Missouri. Uh, there's a, an ethanol plant nearby in Craig, Missouri, Golden Triangle. Uh, they're surrounded by water, and the story out today, I believe Reuters reporting, I think our friend Jarrett Renshaw at Reuters had this story, that one-sixth, one-sixth of ethanol production in this country being shut down right now because of the flooding, and that's just part of the impact of the uh, flooding here in the Midwest here in 2019, and uh, we'll keep you updated on that. In fact, uh, coming up next, we... Um, Hope to be talking with the director of the Missouri Department of Agriculture, Chris Chin, uh, to see what uh, they are hearing about the flooding throughout the state of Missouri, what parts uh, are, uh, you know, at the biggest risk right now. We're going to talk about the levee system uh, because those levees are so important, not only for acres of land, but also for homesteads and for rural communities. And a lot of those levees are being breached or threatening to be you know, are threatened to be breached. They're under a lot of pressure, and we'll see what uh, the Missouri Department of Agriculture has to say about the situation here in the state of Missouri and uh, what they are able to do to try to help folks out. So that's coming up next as we continue uh, from here in St. Joseph, Missouri. Stay with us. Much more to come on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Soybean growers are going all in on Ingenia herbicide. Now BASF is going all in on Ingenia growers. We're so confident in the performance of this solution, we're now backing it with the Ingenia herbicide weed control guarantee so you can have true peace of mind. And you can tap into our expanded Grow Smart Rewards program and get cash back. Go all in today at IngeniaHerbicide.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, as I've mentioned, I'm broadcasting today from St. Joseph, Missouri. Flooding conditions in this area are certainly a, a big issue. I want to talk about the rest of the state of Missouri. Joined now by the Missouri Director of Agriculture, Chris Chin. Chris, thanks for being with us. What's uh, the, uh, the assessment of, uh, of your state as far as flooding is concerned? Right now, we're seeing our heaviest flooding up in the northwest area. Um, you know, farmers all across the state, if they farm ground near a river, they are being prepared. Um, they're watching river levels very, very closely, trying to make sure that they can prevent any damage by moving equipment to higher ground, um, cleaning out grain bins, anything they can do to eliminate any damage if the river should continue to rise and exceed um, the flood stages. Yeah, a lot of sandbagging going on, dirt being uh, moved. Uh, you know, they're trying to bulldoze it if they can, uh, build uh, any kind of a wall to protect. Um, do you have any damage assessments at this point? Right now it's too early for damage assessments. We have to really wait for that water to recede so we can get a good look at, at what's going on. You know, we've, we've heard some um, approximate numbers of, of farmland underwater right now. 
for instance, in Holt County, we've heard approximately 200,000 acres. In Atchison County, approximately 263,000 acres. Andrew County, 199,000 acres. Platt County, 156,000 acres. And Buchanan um, was at 189,000. And these are just estimated numbers um, that farmers have been, you know, reporting. Chris, obviously the, the levy system is so critical to uh, rural America and in a state like Missouri. Uh, some of those levies have been breached. Others are, are really feeling the pressure. They are. You know, almost every levy um, north of us has, has breached. And it's just been really frustrating for our farmers. Um, they've been doing their best to try and hold off that water and they put in many hours sandbagging, and it, it, it's just heartbreaking. You know, we were up there yesterday with the governor, and, and we got to see firsthand the devastation. Um, but, you know, one thing about our Missouri farmers are they are resilient, they're strong, and they're determined. And I saw that spirit yesterday when visiting with those farmers. You know, they, they were already talking about what the next steps were. How are they going to continue? How are they going to make things better for the next time? And so you just... I'm very proud of them, but my heart really just breaks for them, too. mentioned earlier the president has declared, uh, uh, you know, parts of Nebraska disaster area. Uh, I was seeking that, uh, uh, that designation as well. Will there be uh, any requests for some of these counties in Missouri? Right. You know, we've already talked with the Farm Service Agency in Columbia about that, and I believe Brent Hampy, who is the administrator, is up in that area today as well. And, and so they are getting prepared to make sure that we can do everything we can to help those farmers in those, those counties that have been impacted by that flood. Um, but until that water recedes, it's really hard to start that damage assessment um, to get our request into Washington, D.C. to help our farmers. Yeah, I was going to say, once the water does recede, uh, what will uh, your department's role be in that uh, in that effort, Chris? So we will just be a liaison um, between our farmers um, with the FSA. So we will do everything we can um, to make sure that the governor is doing his part to request these damage assessments to make sure that we can get the secretarial or the presidential disaster declaration, whichever one that we would fall into, depending on the amount of damage. But right now it's just so early for us. We, we don't know what that damage is going to be, but, but we're ready um, to get that letter out to FSA to help the farmers there in those areas that have been impacted to make Make sure that they get the help that they need to rebuild and, and continue on with their farming operations. When you were out yesterday, did you see any infrastructure damage, like to roads or bridges? We saw a lot of roads that were underwater, you know, so it, until that water recedes, we don't know what the extent of that damage is, but you can, you can, you know, almost guarantee that on those gravel roads, they're going to be washed out when that water recedes. Um, the foundation of our bridges, we know they're probably going to be degraded some. We know those levees have been compromised. And then also in the areas where there might be some rail, um, we know that that could be eroding the foundation of them as well, too. But, you know, it's just really hard to tell with that water still on top of everything. So until it starts to recede, um, it's really hard to get a good assessment of that damage. Did you see or have you heard anything about any livestock losses? We have not heard or seen anything with livestock while we were up there. You know, I heard some farmers talking about um, the farmers who did have livestock, they were able to get them moved very quickly to higher ground and that they were safe. We have not heard any reports of any losses, um, to my knowledge. Obviously, uh, the concern is going to be uh, 
future flooding. I mean, we don't know what the, the spring rains might be in the days and weeks ahead, and of course uh, the snow melt uh, further north. So the challenges are going to be ongoing. Yeah, it's, this is going to continue. We expect we're going to be seeing flood stages for at least the next 30 days, if not beyond that as well. Um, you know, and going forward, we're going to be. Um, you know, looking at what we can do long-term to recover. You know, there may need to be having some conversations about how do you rebuild to withstand this again. Um, you know, this water we know is going to continue to, to rise, and we anticipate that we're going to be in this flood stage for quite a while. Um, you know, the snow melt up in the north hasn't even started to happen yet, and so our farmers are very aware of that. They're looking at what they can do um, to be prepared as much as they can right now. But with a broken levee system, uh, it's just really heartbreaking for them. And, and you know, they're, they're already talking about what can they do to prevent this from happening next time around. So will you have any special hotlines or assistance numbers for people to call when they learn more? So the USDA has a really great tool on their website. We've been referring all of our farmers to it. It's farmers.gov slash recover, and it's a very useful tool where farmers can um, answer a few questions, and it will automatically tell them what resources are available through USDA to help them start that rebuild process. Very good. Chris, thank you so much, and uh, as uh, the situation continues to develop, we'll stay in touch with you. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Have a great day. Take care. Chris Chin, the Missouri Director of Agriculture. That wraps it up as I broadcast today here from St. Joseph, Missouri. Again, thanks to the Chamber here for having me as their speaker for their Farm City Breakfast. Have a great weekend, everyone. Again, our thoughts and prayers to all those in the flooded areas. Hope you'll join us on Monday for more of Adams on Agriculture. 